Hello, and welcome to this, another episode of Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and today we're talking with Bryant Fisher, the cinematographer of Lennox Hill in We Are Freestyle Love Supreme. Uh, Lennox Hill is a uh, docu-series on Netflix about the Lennox Hill Hospital in New York. Uh, both fantastic films. We do talk, or series and film, we do talk about uh, Lennox Hill primarily, uh, but even so, we really talk about almost anything else. <laughs> this is a, a great conversation. You know, the idea of, of dropping in on uh, conversations between cinematographers was kind of the impetus for this uh, doc, um, podcast. And so, yeah, we're taught, we, you know, if you love gear, if you love gear talk, you're going to love this one. Um, you know, we spend the first 10 minutes or so talking about things we love about the Matrix. So, um, yeah, I, I, we had a lot of fun on this one and hopefully we'll be able to have Bryant back. Um, I will say at, at the top, we weren't able to use his um, recorded audio. So you are getting the sort of Zoom AirPod audio. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, nothing we could do, but uh, still worth worth the listen, trust me. Um, and as a little teaser, uh, I think in May, completely unrelated, we're going to have Lens Month. So we're going to be talking to Matthew Duclos of Duclos Lenses. We're going to be talking to Alex Nelson of Zero Optic. And I'll have a couple more surprises for you as well. So um, look forward to that. We're going to be expanding the pod a little bit, you know. I would love to start, you know, speaking of Bill Pope, I would love to start talking to DPs about their previous work. You know, it's awesome to talk about the new things that are happening, but man, if we could get Bill on to talk about The Matrix or any of his other body of work or anything like that, it'd be great, you know? So I'm just going to put that into the, uh, into the ether, you know, let, let the, uh, let the world come to me or something, which is not how that works. You definitely have to send people emails. <laughs> anyway. Uh, like I said, this conversation with Bryant was a lot of fun, um, you know, just two, uh, two DBs talking about the things they love and uh, their ideas and so forth and so on. So uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Bryant Fisher. Thank you so much for doing um, Frame and Reference. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I got to watch the first episode of Lanks Hill last night and uh, I was really... Um, Right off the bat, before we kind of get into you, I just I just wanted to know, obviously you didn't light anything in there. Is the lighting in that hospital just like incredible? What's going what's going on there? <laughs> That's funny. I mean, you no, know, you kind of get you just get lucky sometimes. And uh, yeah, I mean, the lighting in that hospital just happened to work out really well. And you just you, you wind up finding the frames that work. And, you know, in those situations, you're limited on where you can really move anyway. So uh, I don't know. Those are you know, we just get lucky. I mean, certainly during during a, a a a delivery scene, that hot spotlight that comes in that they just need to work with winds up working really well for us. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's lovely. Because yeah, there was like a surgery scene, and I was and it and in my head, I guess it makes sense that it was a spotlight that was giving you all that contrast. But in my head, I was like, did did he turn off all the lights in the in the operating room, and then they just went for it? Yes, it's all on purpose. We 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 the surgeon mind. No, <laughs> yeah, we uh, they they just yeah, we just rolled with with what they're doing. You know, we're in their world. That's awesome. Yeah, so we'll get to that in a bit. In a bit, but um, starting with you, did you uh, always know you're going to be a documentary cinematographer? Or did you start in photography or or film school even? Like how that how'd you get started there? Yeah, I mean it it's it definitely stemmed from just you know, watching, I'm, 
I watch movies and I connect with them and that's where I get my kicks. Um, but yeah, I did film schools. Uh, my, my middle school had a program. So I did photography and video there. So I was learning a lot. And then, uh, it sort of, I went into high school. They had a, they had a TV program. Um, so I, I was, you know, getting, uh, I should start over. Um, my, uh, my middle school had a, had a specialty program. So, uh, I was able to explore photography and video there. Uh, and then same thing in high school, there was a TV studio. So we were experimenting and, uh, you know, playing around there. Um, and I got to learn quite a bit. Um, and then I went to Pratt Institute and they had a film program. Um, and that was, that was an art school. So it was more, uh, more experimental focused. And so I got to try a lot of things. I failed a lot. Um, and it was just a place where, um, I got to meet some great life friends and sort of explore them and how I was going to potentially use it. I really know. Um, but I had had an internship. Um, and, uh, that was from, I think, uh, my junior into senior year of high school. And I've just sort of been involved of documentaries. I was with Radical Media interning and, um, they specialize quite a bit in, uh, they do a ton of commercial. Um, they do some, you know, some documentary work out of their New York office. And so I was, I was, uh, you know, exposed to a lot of that work and it was, it was fascinating. And, um, but I came up in post-production. So I started in, in their, their post-production facility and, um, you know, I was transcribing, I was doing assistant editing. I was, I was taking out the trash, you know, I was just doing everything. Um, but then I was, I was able to fix things. So I became an engineer there. Um, and so I was, I was part of the, the support staff. Um, but I saw all this amazing footage come through. And uh, it was interesting to see how all of it came together. I was very close with all the editors there. And um, I, I really was, was interested to go into production from there. So I sort of, I, I transitioned out. And then that's sort of like where I, you know, began my sort of camera operating and DP career. Mm. Do, uh, were, what kind of films were you watching that kind of like got you going, especially going to art school? I, su- I assume it wasn't like me, like I've said this before on this podcast, but like I was watching, you know, I was wearing out that men in black VHS and like the phantom. I I just rewatched the phantom the other night and I still love it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just rewatched, uh, uh, the first Batman, the Tim Burton one. Mm. Um, I just rewatched the matrix. I don't know. I'm re I'm, I'm watching that that influenced me in childhood over and over. Um, so I, you know, I grew up in the nineties which is yeah. a great decade for films. Um, so I don't know. I feel like a lot of those movies have just sort of like really, I don't know. They've baked into my brain. I have this, I like, I can recite movies, which is kind of crazy. It, it gets very annoying to some people. I have to curb myself when I'm watching movies with them, totally. but uh, I don't know. I think, you know, those, those kinds of things just sort of influence you in the back of your head when you're, when you're doing any kind of documentary work. I think uh, I, I never knew I was going to go into documentaries per se, but you know, the the more doing it, uh, the more I realize how uh, incredibly lucky you are to be in these situations and to be given access to you know very intimate moments in people's lives. And I think that that's uh, I don't know that's that's kind of attractive to me, you know, to be that close to someone and for them to you know be okay with allowing a camera around them and to document with them. Yeah. Um, I actually just, uh, for my birthday last year, 2019, 
uh, I was able to see they showed the Matrix in uh, the Dolby Theater uh, at the mall near here. I, I, I saw that also. Dude, all right. Did did you find yourself? Because I've watched the Matrix a billion times, right? That's probably one of my all times. And uh, I I remember sitting there going like, I didn't know that's what that looked like. I didn't know like um like the the uh, at the very beginning when the thing when the camera goes through like the Matrix code, I didn't realize that the yeah. black was actually more Matrix code. It's more code, yeah. Yeah, because you yeah, know, it's watching like it on DVD, like it was just black. Right. And the Matrix was my first DVD. So I was, I totally ripped, the laser went through that thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but when I saw it in Dolby also, I was like, I, first of all, I was impressed with just the theater experience, like the quality of the, the picture. The sound was incredible. I was hearing bass that didn't modulate ever, and it was right. rumbling my seat. And so for a movie like that, too, um, just, just, you know, something that's been so impactful to me and to see it in its best form was like, that's, that's amazing. I'm so happy for that. Yeah. There was, there was actually two things that really struck me. One was I, I suddenly realized how low budget it actually was. Cause you, in high <laughs> def, you can really tell that they had built the sets out of fucking plywood, you know? Totally. Yeah. And, uh, there's the one s- scene there's, the, um, I don't mean to cut you off. No, I was go for just it. noticing there was, it's funny that you mentioned that because, uh, rewatching it recently, I noticed, when uh, Morpheus is on the phone with Keanu uh, in the office and he's trying to get him to, you know, go out to the roof. Mm. Um, when he goes into that office, he doesn't close the door all the way and you hear it close and you can see that that door doesn't actually, it wouldn't even be able to close against that wall. It just kind yeah. of wedges itself. It's, it's very funny. I'm wondering if there's like a cable that was just going on the floor, that, you know? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, the other thing I noticed about that movie was leaving it. it. I mean, obviously, everyone who went really wanted to see The Matrix in theaters. But for the for a, 20 minutes, people were just standing outside the theater talking about it. And not just like how cool it was, but like the philosophy of it, shots they loved, yeah. like everything. It's still, you know, 20 years later, still 25, whatever it was, uh, still it was really 99, right? Yeah, 99. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was nice to revisit it you know, again now, um, and just revisit some of those, like, what did I love about what Bill Pope was doing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, and, and the philosophy behind it. I mean, it is really remarkable and, you know, catching things in the beginning scenes to know that they're really foreshadowed entire trilogy. Yeah. And, yeah it's, it's, it's a very good movie. <laughs> yeah, it is a very good movie. It's um, a very good movie. <clears throat> Let's see. How do we dovetail off that? <laughs> um, so anyway, surgeries. Yeah, so surgeries are tight. Uh, <laughs> right. How did you get involved with uh, Lennox Hill as a project? Like, had they found other documentaries you had done, or? Um, I had worked with the producer of Lennox Hill, Liz Bradley, uh, for many years. Um, so she reached out to me um, and said that um, the two directors, uh, Adi Barash and Ruthie Schatz, um, were looking for a DP. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I went, I went to meet them and we had, you know, we hit it off pretty well. Uh, yeah, we just kind of dived in. Liz and I had worked on, gosh, I, I don't even, it, it's, it's kind of hard to recall like exactly which projects we were doing because we both, we both worked out of radical media, honestly. Mm-hmm. And there were a ton of projects that I was on, you know, different branded things, uh, little doc things through there. Um, and, and she was, she was running a whole bunch of ships 
So I jumped in uh, whenever she called me. Cool. Did you, uh, yeah. do, do you remember the project that kind of um, like got you where suddenly you were like, okay, now I'm not just screwing around. Now I'm actually working. My first documentary feature was Hamilton's America. Oh, so wow. <laughs> I was, yeah. Uh, you know, working on a, using, I think we were using a 5D and a C300, you know, the Mark one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were with, we were with Lynn for two or three years while he was writing that musical. So it was, it was one of those things where, um, the director was, was close friends, old roommates with Lynn. So he had oh, that wow. connection and we, we just, you know, we just sort of did it on spec. It was like, I don't know what this is going to be. You know, he just, it's like an off of in the Heights thing. So, you know, maybe, maybe he's got something here. So we just started going on these, <laughs> you know, shoots every once in a while. And eventually it started to become a thing. Um, and I realized, okay, there's, there's definitely something here. Um, and, uh, I, I quickly recognized that this, I think that the documentary is going to do well just because this, this musical is going to be incredible. Um, and then obviously it, it, it is what it is now. Um, but we were just sort of lucky to be in, in the beginning, but yeah, I think that was the first project, uh, that I really, uh, you know, understood what, what I was doing (laughs) in this world. That, <clears throat> that's got to be like a, a New York thing, like where you taking, you know, I'm just going to take this gig and hope it kind of works out. But because New York is so full of people who are just like, I've always had this kind of impression of, of like, since you're all living on top of each other and since it's so uh, compressed, there's just no time to goof off. So everyone's hustling on something. So if you're, if you show up, correct me if I'm wrong. But if you show up, like something will happen. Might not be great, but something will happen. No doubt. I I 100% agree. And you should show up no matter what. It should, I mean, you know, given circumstances. But like, yes, I, I did the same thing. You know, even when I was before that, before Hamilton's America, even during, I was still, I would show up to anything that I could uh, get my hands on because um, I wanted the experience. I enjoyed the process. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. New York, we are on top of each other. In fact, in my building, I've got a director and filmmaker above me and then, uh, a producer below me. Mm. So in this building alone, we've got one side of the building is all filmmakers. Um, but yeah, you're, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's also supporting one another, show up, be kind and, and be helpful. Yeah. Definitely no. something's going to happen from that. That's been a, that was Tobias had mentioned that there's, there's been a reoccurring theme of like, and this is obvious for people who work in it for, but for anyone listening, who's still getting started, the being agreeable and working hard and not making life difficult for other people is fucking 90% of the battle. Totally. Totally. I mean, I, you know, there's definitely frustrations, but then there's also amazing positives. And, um, I think, I think people, you know, feed off of each other's energy and especially on film sets, you know, it can be very stressful at times. So if you're just cool and collected, then that energy really does flow off of, off, off of you and, you know, off each other. Yeah. It's definitely something I had to learn. I, I, uh, for a very, very long time, I was very easy to spark, you know, not necessarily like angry, although sometimes that would happen, but mostly just frustrated. I'd get very quickly frustrated and start totally. to 
you know, let other people know how frustrated I was, which was not way yeah. better to just take not, a lap. A hundred percent. If you're feeling like that, just, just take a minute for yourself, go take a deep breath. Um, it's really not worth it. And I definitely learned that the hard way a couple of times because yeah. it's just not, it's not something that anybody around them. So why, you know, why should you show that to someone else? Uh, that is a good point about showing up is mm-hmm. like you said, you learned it the hard way. I learned it the hard way. There's only yeah. so much that you can look up, read about, etc. You just need to start taking jobs, finding jobs. And that was actually a question that I, I reached out to the old Reddit to see what kind of um, questions they would ask if they had this opportunity. And a lot of them were, were like, how do I find jobs? And I think I would love your opinion. My answer, I didn't answer them, but like my answer is always like, you kind of got to make them like you, you gotta, you gotta think a little harder than just, I am a cinematographer. I'm a filmmaker. I'm an editor, whatever. And start thinking like a human Start thinking like, where can I bring value to someone? Cause especially if you're expecting yeah. to get paid, like then you need to bring value to the situation. You have to show that value. If you're, if, if someone's willing to pay you, you need to show that value for sure. And there's also a trust level to, to, for someone to offer you money to do a job, um, mm-hmm. especially in, in a field like this where everyone is, is, you know, is a creative, right? So everyone's going to be thinking, what do, you know, what's this person bringing? Why are they here? Um, cold, cold emailing. Instagram is amazing, especially during the pandemic. I mean, like you can reach out to anybody. Everyone's home. You know, yeah. certainly in April, May, when no one's doing anything, that was the time. I mean, even now, I think people are very, very receptive. And I think, honestly, anyone in this business who has had some luck is totally willing to speak with anyone about their process, about how to get started or any advice. So, you know, it's a, because, you know, we're, no one's living forever. We, everyone's got to continue this. So uh, it's it's certainly helpful to to pass this along, and if you if you want it, then then ask. Yeah. There's no there's no harm in asking. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and I'll actually say it kind of goes both ways. The more I've you know I've always been of the mind that just keep doing it. Like as long as you say something's a thing, if you do it long enough, it then becomes a thing. So like mm-hmm. when I started my production company, it was very much an air quotes production company, but I just kept saying it was a thing. And then eventually people were like, oh, yeah, I guess that's that's real. Um, and, I, you know, I was making as much as I was making like little web content for brands or fashion videos or whatever. I was also, you know, like trying to build up, you know, a YouTube channel, not build up a YouTube channel, but I was putting stuff on YouTube just for fun, which sure. eventually became my job at Pro Video, so to speak. And then but you start doing stuff like that. And then one day, like Ernie Gilbert, the editor of Atlanta and This Is America and all kinds of great stuff. He, he actually just made a, a new film recently, which I'm blanking on the name of, but um, if anyone's listening, I think Ernie's listening, go watch Ernie's movie. Uh, but he reached out to me and he was like, Hey man, I saw your review on the C 500. I wanted to ask you some questions. And I was like, dude, you're asking me questions. <laughs> like, there you go. You know, it just, uh, put it out in the world. There's no harm. Yeah. Uh, and so now I, I think we're acquaintances, which is cool. Um, okay. so, Jumping back into the doc, what uh, what was your? We'll just start with gear, and that'll probably get us into everything else. What sure. was your shooting package on it? Um, well, for for Lennox Hill, we had an FS7 
Mark II. Mm. Um, and and everyone gets loved, and that's it. It was really? it was plain and simple. Yeah, um, we we used an eighteen to fifty five Fujian. It was a very very light camera because we had to hold that thing for hours on end, um, and and it it served us well. It was a workhorse. Um, you know that, especially that focal length too. At first, I was like, oh wow, we're really only going to go to fifty five. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're only you're in the tightest spaces anyway. So, you know, it's, it's, it's almost egregious at that point to go even further. There are times where, you know, you sort of like, oh, I wish, I, I kind of wish I can go in a little bit further, but I don't know. There was, there was definitely that, that was the perfect lens for that. For yeah, that piece. I, historically, I've always shot everything on the, that Sigma 18 to 35. So even yeah, 55 yeah, you is, you know, still <laughs> yeah, a little far. A uh, that, were you on like an easy rig or anything or just everything right up in the nope, chest? Everything's on the shoulder. Nope. Mm. Everything's on the shoulder. Um, I also, you know, for, for a show like that, I can't, I don't think I would have gotten as smooth a footage um, and be able to physically move around a hospital with ease while wearing an easy rig. Yeah. Um, as much as it might've saved my back a little bit um, for something like that. I like to feel the connection. I mean, in general, you know, I, I kind of, I'll, I'll make myself suffer just because I, I like the connection of the camera to my shoulder. It feels feel a lot more grounded. Um, and it, it just feels like a, it's an extension of me rather than a piece of gear that I have to wear. Certainly it comes in use for a lot of case scenarios, but like on We Are Freestyle of Supreme, I would use the easy rig at times. Um, certainly during like any, any performance, I wore the easy rig because I was on a long lens. So I was able to get much smoother stuff that way. Um, but, you know, when I would, when I was in like the dressing room or hanging out with them, I was on the shoulder. Yeah. Are you, are you uh, generally a Sony shooter? Or are you pretty camera agnostic? I'm camera agnostic. Although I do, I have, I own a Venice um, and now I have an a seven S three. It's, it's amazing. I bought it too. Um, right before we did freestyle. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, I, I knew that we were going to go into a theater situation I didn't know exactly what the lighting was going to be. Um, certainly with stage lights on in video, that's always a, an issue. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't know exactly what we, what scenarios we were going to walk into. I did a very, very quick test with the Venice. I read up on it. It had been used a little bit. Um, and I think I got it, what was the beginning of 2019? So there had been some stuff out on it <clears throat> already. And I took a clip home. I pushed it around in Resolve. And I saw what kind of recovery I can get from highlights and shadows. That was, that's all I needed. Um, yeah. And that was in, I didn't even do raw. I was shooting like internal XEVC. Um, oh, really? Cause yeah, most people are, yeah. uh, will shoot the OXAN, XOAN, something like that. XOCN. Um, yeah. XOCN. Yeah. Not OAN. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's, I mean, technically that's not even raw. That's still some, you know, it's like the raw. It's a compressed scanners. raw. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a lossless raw codec. It's, you know, it's, it's the same thing that red's doing, right? It's just compression rates. But yeah, um, yeah the, even, even the lowest end, the LT is, is incredibly versatile in post. So for, for most scenarios, LT and even ST are, I mean, both of them are amazing to work with. Yeah. On, uh, on Lennox, were you doing your own coloring or was that, or did you have like a show no. lot for it or that was sent out? No, I didn't, you know, no, no show lot. No, we did, uh, we did everything at Technicolor. Um, oh, cool. and, uh, yeah, yeah. 
it was nice to see it. You know, you watch it all day on this. Like I was, I was using the monitor too. Um, for some, I don't know, for some reason, like I, I, it varies. Sometimes I'm using a viewfinder and I'm, and I'm really in there, but then sometimes I'm just looking at the display. Um, and I think for Linux, something about having just a tiny display and me being able to see the entire room was helpful. Um, for some yeah, I was going to say in a hospital, I just, you gotta, like, I just got kind of you know. used to that. Yeah, exactly. I'm sort of looking around at all times. And so I have my peripherals a lot more if I'm just, you know, if I have that, that monitor. Um, and so, you know, I just had my peeking on and just went with it. Oh, and we were, uh, I was using the Tilta also the nucleus. Um, mm. and that worked out pretty well for us. Although there's definitely some, some finicky things with that thing. Like you go out and you hit a radio frequency and like your motor stop and you lose a shot and that's awful. Yeah. It doesn't like just go wild on you. It just stops, right? Well, no, it goes wild. Oh no. Yeah. I wish it would just stop. I would have to, yeah, yeah. In the middle of a shot, I'd be like, oh no, it's buzzing. So then I had to pull the motors and then I'm up here manually on the lens, you know, just using the handles with handles instead of actual, you know, motor grips. Yeah. Did you have input on the color at all? Cause I noticed that like, I didn't know if it was quite, um, uh, sort of the production design, so to speak, quote unquote, but, uh, everything there's these just very blue and yellow, uh, very strong blue and yellow with very clean whites. And it didn't matter where they were. Like, I, no, I have a note here, even in the subway, like that look is still very clean. Yeah. Yeah. I sat with, uh, Johanse Brown was our colorist. He's amazing. And, um, he, uh, he and Adi were, were working on the color and I, I went in for uh, a day to just take a look at and see what they were doing. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to step on it cause I was really enjoying uh, what they, what they were coming up with. And I, yeah, I really liked it. And we were able to toggle between, uh, SDR and HDR, uh, in oh. there. and that was, that was really neat, you know, also just to be removed from the footage for a while and then sit in, in a, in a suite and then see it in HDR. I was like, Oh, okay. This thing has some, has some depth. And I was still, still impressed. I mean, the FF7 definitely has its, has its flaws. It's a little noisy for, for my taste. Sure. Um, you know, I still think that for all the rooms that we were in, I think it performed really well. Yeah. And then probably, I, I assume Technicolor's got some decent uh, denoisers at their hands. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they know what they're doing over there. Yeah. Um, what kind of like unique challenges were you, were you finding uh, as a cinematographer working in a, in a hospital? Because obviously you've got um, a lot going on around you, although the, the hospital does seem to be kind of large in certain spaces. But I would think that like, proximity to subject would become an issue you know like i can't i can't imagine you're interacting with them at all uh beyond like sorry hi you know uh you know it it varies um it varies per story per subject depends on the uh the situation depends on the surgery they're having um you know a lot of the uh surgeries that were happening in the uh neuro department were very much planned and um, Adi and Ruthie uh, were seeing those stories through. So we knew those, those people. We would revisit with them. They knew who we were. Um, so it would be a very, how are you? Nice to see you again. Let's, you know, I'll be in the room with you, you know. Um, but, you know, very, very, you know, you're, you're going into some of these people's best and worst days. So you have to, if you're stepping on anybody's toes, it, you'll, you'll notice it and you have to be very, very, uh, very cautious with how you move around, but also how you just approach people. Um, you know, they're allowing you in 
and you're telling their story. So you have to be very, very cognizant of that. Um, but I don't know. I, I enjoyed that, you know, whatever, whatever the interaction was, even if it was very little or a lot, um, getting to know any one of them as brief or for as long as we did was, was really incredible. Yeah. What, uh, <clears throat> what was your approach to, to B roll? Cause I noticed some very, um, very measured kind of, uh, composed B roll, not that the rest of the show isn't, but, um, I'm always kind of curious yeah. about that. Um, I just sort of, uh, you know, I had, we started shooting that sort of towards the end, I would say, um, when we knew that there was some supplemental footage to, to get, mm-hmm. um, Ruthie was interested, uh, in a very specific kind of style. Um, they, they really enjoyed very, uh, centered kind of, uh, frames, um, very, very static moments, just something to take you out of the kinetic energy that we had throughout the show just to take a breather. So I tried to find, I tried to find as many of those kinds of frames as possible. Um, just, you know, walking around, finding something that was already in place. What can I, what can I use here that's existing? Um, I tried to stay rather medium, uh, you know, kind of like in the probably like, you know, in the thirties to 55 range. Um, and, uh, just the idea of, I don't know, I would find something that felt very calm and I would just, I would hold it and I would just watch it for a while and feel very good. I did all sorts. I mean, I did everything that I was doing out of focus. I was doing polls. I was doing all of this, but then, you know, you see what, what winds up being used and, uh, and it worked out really well. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, when, uh, kind of coming off the doc, how, how would you say that, uh, the majority of your work at this point has been documentary? Do you, do you get to shoot like shorts or anything? Um, in general? Yeah, I, I get to, yeah, I definitely get to, I've done some, uh, some funnier die pieces, which are a lot of fun to do. Um, those are, those are quick and, and fun and you get to meet some, some great people. Um, and, uh, I did get to, uh, I worked a little bit on a feature recently or not recently. It was, it was a while ago, but it's actually going to be released soon. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's branded content type pieces that come up. Um, just did something for Uber eats. Um, and then I did something for, is more of a more of a documentary but it's definitely um less verite but we did a, a piece for the masters i was there mm. in november in augusta and um it's the first time they've they've you know had the tournament outside of i think of what was it it's march or april they usually have it um so yeah it, it's a it's a mixed bag but i would say that it's sort of like a an 80 20 most of my sure. work is is documentary how do you uh, how do you approach lighting when you're when you're doing like what's your kind of general uh, bless you uh, what, what's <laughs> what's your general sort of uh, you know lighting um, influences like where where do you you know if you had to set up a shot somewhere what what's your kind of go to I don't know if I necessarily have a go to it's it's totally dependent on the location and I'll mm. I'll get what's right for the location. Um, I like to try to, you know, try to have as much control as possible, but you know, it, it really varies. I mean, if you're, if you're setting up a scene, it, it depends, you know, are you talking about documentaries? Cause if you're shooting Verite, I don't set up anything. Right. Um, but if you're setting up an interview, I'll definitely uh, try to, you know, have some kind of a kit. Um, I, I will generally try to, 
Um, again, it's dependent on the room. And if I get photos of the room or if I can scout, that's great. That's a luxury. Um, so, you know, I'll sort of mold it around that and creating, uh, creating a vibe. And then we want to, I'll talk with my directors and see what do we want to, what do we want to feel out of this? And then that will definitely influence if it's going to be, you know, a single light, if we're really going to craft it, are we going to add a lot of negative? How much contrast do we want? Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it really does vary. I'll typically do something that has a very gentle side push um, and then something that sort of extends off of that over camera. Um, that's just generally like a nice, easy wrap. It kind of works on everyone, certainly works on glasses. That's something yeah. I always ask. I always ask, does our subject wear glasses if we're shooting an interviewers? Because yeah. um, you, you, you got to be prepared for that. Um, but yeah, it, it really does vary. I mean, there's no, there's no one look, you know. Sure. No, that was just another, like another, once again, another internet question was a lot of people going like, you know, if you, it, of course, have you noticed it's always a thousand dollars? Everyone wants to know what they can get for it. It's whether it's cameras or lights. Everyone just seems to have a thousand dollars. I got a music video for a thousand dollars. You, so the whole music video is a thousand dollars or your light is a thousand dollars. It depends. Like, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the, I mean, you know, I, you can sort of, you know, you, you see what aperture is doing. They're making yeah. incredible lights that are, that are so versatile and super, I mean, they're not super cheap, but like compared to what is available and you know, what you will typically see on a film set, those lights are cheap. Yeah. So you have a thousand dollars buy buy a hard light and then soften it. That, that would be my go. Yeah. Like I, like I was telling you earlier, uh, I got this Godox. SL 60. Like it's not, it's not super powerful necessarily all things considered, but it it can get the job done in so many situations. And I think too, if you're, if you um, are the kind of person who's going to color your own stuff, you can definitely Mm -hmm. bias out the, uh, or use gels, but um, you can bias out some of the, like this, this runs a little magenta I found. um, Right. Which is, which is a little tough. Yeah. It's worth doing some testing. Test everything. I definitely, um, yeah, test everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I own some lighting here just because there's, there's situations where I know I'm going to, you know, have to go out on a shoot or it just makes more sense. Like, uh, you know, sometimes I don't have a, a grip and a gaffer team. Um, and so, you know, I need to do all this setup, especially during COVID we've had to, you know, pare down crews quite a bit. So I wind up doing, you know, a lot of the lighting myself with, you know, with some assistance from maybe a couple of people who are already there. Um, but uh, yeah, I have a I have a Gemini uh, two by one. Oh, nice. um, I have a couple of uh, Astras. Um, I have the three hundred D, and um, I have a, I actually just bought something from Intellitech. They have this amazing light cloth, the Mega Light Cloth. Yeah. And this thing is like, it's out of control. It's just a huge rectangular light source. It's like four and a half by three or so when you fully you know pull it out and it's 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 very convenient it's nice i was a i'm a big top light guy you know just kind of the mm-hmm. ambient fill kind of thing and i saw i think i read about that that light cloth in an asc magazine um at one point and yeah i was i was really interested in that is it by color it is by color yeah yeah and the color accuracy is great i did a very you know kind of rough test just holding up a gray card on the venice and um it it was pretty damn near the center. So it was, it was, a. Uh, it's come in handy. 
what other uh, what other kind of um, just to sit in gear talk because I you know I, I yeah. feel like most most of the cinematographers we've been talking to have not been gear heavy a lot of um, you know theory and whatnot. What, right. what else has been uh, kind of like um, getting you excited? Because uh, definitely for me, like like you were saying, LED lights are getting really cool. Cameras now, like it's part of my job is reviewing cameras. And at this point, my this advice buy for cameras. Just buy whatever you want. Literally any of them. They're all good. They're all good. It's really like you're starting to really nitpick when you start saying, you know, what's what's this over that? And it's also a case use. How are you going to use it? And just get the thing that you're going to use well or that will serve you in, in multiple situations. You know, yeah. whether it's, uh, I, I don't know, the Komodo I know is really, really hot with everyone. I know they, they, they sell the hell out of it just in terms of, you know, their branding and the videos and the, those use cases. Um, but, you know, I, I just bought the A7S III. I'm super impressed with this camera. I mean, it is, it's ridiculous what you can do with this thing. Um, and I still haven't figured out how to use all of it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm using it right now with a, a 24 to 70 G master and it's an autofocus. I mean, this yeah. is like, I bought this as like, I have a, I have an upcoming job. It's sort of a, uh, kind of a, it's, it's going to be sort of like a corporate branded kind of a piece. Um, and I'm working with some old friends. And so I just picked this up. I got the Ronin, uh, the, uh, S2. I mean, the, the bang for your buck in these, in this setup is absolutely astounding. Yeah. You know, Cause was, I'm, I'm used to, I'm not used to holding these kinds of things. I have, I have the original Ronin here, which if anybody wants it, give me a call. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Say. I saw that. I saw that face. Yeah. It's like, Oh, okay. This Ronin. I mean, I don't know. I forget how much that's supposed to hold, but this thing is supposed to hold 10 pounds. It's tiny. Yeah. No, and no cameras are 10 pounds. Like, at least no. not stock. No, the Venice body, I think, might be like seven. So you're really, really, you know, challenging it there. But I mean, if you're putting like a mini or a mini LF or even this A7S, this is no problem with it. Yeah. Um, and it's smooth. The, the They integrated everything really, really well. And this is like, it's still new. So I'm sure they're going to be doing all sorts of updates with it over time. Um, but I'm sort of, I've, I've bought into the Sony ecosystem. I was with Canon for a while. Um, I had a, I had a C300. Um, I had the 5D and, uh, I even, I went to Panasonic. I had the EVA one, which is an amazing camera still is. So if you can get your hands on that, that's a, that's a good go. I went um, to the, I know, the launch of that. And I, and I remember thinking like Johnny, uh, Durango from episode one, yes. he shot one of their, uh, like test movies for that camera. Uh, and I just remember his was the only one that looked good in my opinion. Sorry to everyone else who shot for that. Like, <laughs> cause it was all great. I thought so too. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't there. It wasn't there for, I think what, uh, what's her name? Oh goodness. Uh, Ellie, uh, she had shot something that looked great, but I, th- I felt like that camera was like a little sharp. Mm. It was a little, little still too video. Oh, whereas the Veracam, I still think is, is a fantastic camera, but nobody Veracam uses is incredible. And no, yeah, no one touches it. I was uh, debating actually between the Venice and the Vericam. Um, but for my purposes, I needed two card slots. The Vericam uh, LT only has one. Um, yeah. And I was not going to be, I, I, I just knew I didn't want to be in a situation where I'm out a card, I'm in the middle of a scene and I got to pop a new card in. Um, and I know media in general is just expensive, but I thought the media was kind of pricey. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. 
the the Venice was definitely the sort of a future buy too. I felt yeah. like there was a lot. There's a lot that they're going to do. I think with that camera, it has a removable sensor block. That to me was like, oh, so you could just upgrade this thing for how many years? Like, that's a good. When point. is it? And you can just change the board whenever you need to. I mean, I you know, there's there's a whole lot that I think that they haven't done with this camera yet, and still, it's it's like incredible now. Yeah, the, uh, and, and and there's definitely like I have like I said the C500 Mark II, and it was kind of like a future buy thing where I was like, I don't need full frame, but there are things that you do that like it, it looks fantastic. Like I love, I yeah. love it. But um, over there zoom, is, it, looks, it looks lovely. <laughs> exactly. There's a video about that for anyone listening um, on Strangel. But uh, there is definitely something about like the Venice, especially people. Some people buy Alexas, and that's like sick. But uh, there's You'll a confidence get use out of it too. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you can still buy, you can buy an, a, an Alexa classic on eBay for five grand and it's still the you know exact same sensor and all that. But there is that yeah. sort of element of um, not only future proofing, but confidence. You know, if you own yeah. a Venice, you can, anyone calling you say like, Hey, we need this to look as best as possible. You're like, well, this camera shot top gun. So is that good? And they're, they're always like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's a decent selling point. <laughs> you know, yeah. do you find Yeah, for do, sure. Do you find that on like smaller gigs like that, you have to sell the package and all that? Or are you at the point now where you just rent and then they sign the check? Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, it depends sometimes, you know, if I'm at the, if I'm at the beginning of a project, I will definitely, you know, if it, and if it makes sense, let's try the right. Venice. Let's see how it works for this show. Um, and certainly put it through its paces. If someone doesn't like the look, which I can't imagine why, um, you know, we, we will go with something else. But, uh, you know, it, it really just depends on what the what the project calls for. But I've found that the camera works in pretty much any scenario. Um, yeah. You can build it up and down. And, um, yeah, I've made it made it work. Did you get the the um, extension block on it? Because I know those are always included. With the the Rialto? No, not not the not the that part, but the back, the, the recorder, the raw recorder. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like yeah, that's so kind of a necessity. It's fully. Yeah. At first, though, I did not. Um, with uh, Freestyle Love Supreme, we didn't shoot raw. We shot XAVC 480. Mm. Um, and that was a that was an interesting test for me to know how far can this go. And then I see it, you know, you see it on Hulu and it looks incredible. Um, yeah. You know, I saw even the in high speed at 2500, you know, just to be able to like really quickly flip like, oh, man, I got to go to 96 frames, but I'm under. So just change your ISO. And it's clean. It's so good. It's just like in, in all those kinds of scenarios, like I said, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to be walking into. So I just want something that's going to be super versatile, very fast and reliable. And uh, thing is, that thing is a beast. So totally. it, it works in everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's enough. Like, I think that's kind of the distinction now, isn't it? Between uh, like cinema bodies and DSLRs is like w- DSLRs and cinema bodies can definitely get you the exact same image. But it's the sure. obviously the usability and the uh, flexibility that you get with the bigger bigger bodies. Yeah, it's all functionality. It's access to the menus. It's it's really how often you're kind of you know changing those things out. Yeah, I, I do remember when the Venice came out. Again, lucky me writing for Pro Video. Uh, I got sent to the and living in LA. Uh, got sent to the launch event for the Venice, and I oh, remember my. My first note was uh, they just straight up stole the side from an Alexa. <laughs> yeah. The screen with the six buttons. It Why change it? 
if it ain't broken completely no. i really like the uh the operator side that little oled too it's great it's really great um and in the recent update i think it might have been in firmware 6 or at least i noticed it in firmware 6 um when you switch frame rates uh it will it will show a fit it'll show if you're fixed at 23 and 8 um and then when you start toggling through it'll show you the various uh it's basically like s and q right so you just flip into whatever you need and it's nice. there what I'm really, really hoping for, and if anybody from Sony is watching this, to allow operator side to change the base ISO somehow. There is a way. There's three buttons on that panel, and you cannot I, – I, maybe I've completely missed it, and I don't know how to do it. But if you go to, like, the ISO, you know, menu, and you have it highlighted, like NDs, you can flip through, and they're fast, right? Right. And ISO, it's just up and down at the base. I can't – you know, I, I, maybe I need to explore it more and I don't know, but I would love to be able to just like, if you're on that menu, maybe like hit up and down at the same time, that just toggles your base, something where I can do that quickly. Cause otherwise I have to turn the camera around to change my base. ISO. so yeah, maybe there's a, good... a, maybe I can make a user button for it. I don't know, but yeah, I know, uh, I know the Canon people listen. Cause I've, I've got, I won't say I have a relationship with Canon, but, um, over the years, you know, especially because I use their stuff, we've had chats. But sure. Sony, Sony invited me out for one for the RXO launch, and I was uh-huh. not that impressed with that camera. Like, is is fine, but it wasn't like yeah. Th- to replace the front glass, it cost a hundred dollars, and I was like, why is it glass? Like, if this is supposed to be an action cam, what are you doing? And they never, I haven't heard from them again. So I'll <laughs> hopefully we can uh, get them back. What's uh, what's the last movie you watched? Uh, what did I watch? Oh, we watched The Matrix last night. Oh, really? Yeah. W- what about before yeah. that? Because we just talked about that. <laughs> we just talked about it. Um, let me see. What was the last movie? Um, I watched. Uh, God, what was it? Well, I watched Ma Rainey. Oh, that cool. was awesome on Netflix. That was really, really good. Um, what a great story. And uh, I've been uh, flipping through seeing because HBO has been doing all these kinds of HBO Max has stuff coming out like every week. Yeah. Um, and they just we've been watching like I'm watching Amy Schumer just as like a break from movies. I need, you know, an episode of comedy. Right. Um, but uh, I, we watched Batman, the Tim Burton Batman. Um, God, what else? We watched Casino recently. Oh, nice. Oh God, I can't get enough of that movie. Like God, you're just like, how, <laughs> how it's yeah. The lighting that's, in that that's, that's, that's budget. Yeah. Talk about the matrix with no budget casino. My God, those, some of those scenes are really remarkable. What a, what a style, you know, just to be able to be so consistent throughout that story and, and tell it like that. I mean, that it's just, it is premium. When, uh, earlier when we were talking about how like the late nineties was definitely like a golden age of film. I think like the late seventies and the late nineties were definitely like the two golden ages of cinema. Do yeah. you see, do you see us kind of finding another one? Cause like both of those were pushed by, you know, in the seventies it was directors being given way more leeway and uh budgets being mm-hmm. thrown around in the nineties. It was, um, 
new technology, you know, CG and also just um, DI, all kinds of things like that. Do, do you see another point coming up soon? Because I don't feel like we're in we're definitely in the golden age of television, you know, cinema quality totally. television series. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the last year that I felt like movies felt like that was when you had There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men the same year. Like mm. that was kind of a ridiculous time to <laughs> to be in the movie. Uh, I don't know. I saw There Will Be Blood, I think like six times in the theaters. I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a strong film. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just, I wanted to watch it. I couldn't wait for any kind of disc release to watch it again, just to analyze, like the movie's incredible, but then I wanted to analyze it and, and really understand what Robert Ellswood was doing. Mm. Like I just, I, it's, it was, it's striking, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I, I still, I don't know. I mean, it'd be lovely for theaters to, to be able to go to a theater again. So let's start with that. Sure. Um, so, <laughs> so we can go there. Um, but I don't know, you know, there's, I feel like, you know, in the nineties, there wasn't any streaming, right? So everything was put into those, those big budget movies. Yeah. Um, and you know, money gets tossed around that way, but now everything is getting tossed. Like you see some of the budgets that get sort of released for, you know, what gets bought for an Apple show or for a Hulu, you know, Hulu breaks a record by buying, what was it? Spring breakers, right. Yeah. Um, for buying a, a film. Uh, and then for, even for Netflix. I mean, they have stuff going on all year. Um, and I don't know. I feel like it's the, the, the distribution and the gamut of filmmaking has expanded quite a bit. I mean, the access to, to technology allows people who didn't traditionally have, you know, an ability to tell a story and to share it now can certainly with the phones, I mean, you can do anything. So I, I don't know. I think it's just a matter of like how maybe how like, you know, studios were making money off of those movies, right? Forever. So it's just a matter, I think, of, you know, how we're going to consume this stuff, how we want to watch these things, what stories we want to see, because I think that's changing also, what people actually want to see. Yeah. And so I think that's going to really drive what what we do see. And because... And People want whatever we want to see. A studio might pick up on that and say, "All right, let's put money into this." Or even an independent company will say, "Let's try to make this," because um, then people will will go to buy it. Yeah, because that's the that's like the Netflix strategy, right? They don't they don't really go for tentpole films anymore. They're always they right. they have like the algorithm that tells them like if you put this actor in this genre with this director, people watch it. Or they go like super niche. Yeah. Yeah, they'll do or they'll do something like um, like Anima, the Paul Thomas Anderson uh, film with uh, with Tom York. Did you see that? I uh, no, I didn't see it. It's gorgeous. Uh, Darius Kanji shot this like beautiful short film. How did I miss that? Netflix, dude, just watch that over and over. What a beautiful piece. I just well, got beautifully choreographed the music. I mean, listen to the Anima album also. That's just gorgeous. But mm. um, you know, that was something I, I was very happy to see someone like Netflix pick up like, Oh, okay. They're still, they're still interested in, you know, like short art formats, not just these, you know, heavy long series or, 
or, or features or anything like that. like that. That was like really, really amazing stuff. So I hope they keep doing things like that. I think people will want to see, because you know, there's still room for, for short things to live, especially on, on TV. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering too, like with this past year, if people are over, I, like I kind of lamented for a long time, the, the lack of escapism in mm-hmm. cinema. It was, everything was very real and very dark. And, you know, I, I right. partially blame Batman for that. The dark Knight kind of, <laughs> everything needs to be gritty, but even that everything was like escapism. But uh, I'm wondering yeah. if now that everyone's been stuck in their homes, we're just going to see uh, like just an explosion of, of um, maybe not aspirational. I love a dark, gritty film, but, uh, but just, escapism i don't i don't want to be i don't want to be reminded of anything in reality right now well how many you know how many films are we going to want to see that are you know uh that are not just gritty like you're saying gritty like like the way that they look or the content the content because i feel like the content okay because i feel like a lot of movies definitely are are looks. there's certain you know people are doing things that that kind of like look the same yeah um, but I don't know. I feel like it's really going to be, like you said, it's, it's, it's totally story driven. So I, I do think that people are going to want that. Like when people can safely leave their homes for extended periods of time and <laughs> see their family and hug a friend, you know, that's, that feeling will get, but you know, that's, it's like, it's overwhelming that we can't do that now. So having some kind of escapism would be great. Um, But yeah, I feel like there's, there's definitely got to be that. Like someone's writing like the next great movie right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what's, what's to come. Yeah. I remember I was watching a clip of Tarantino just like screaming about how the second we don't use film anymore, it's the death of cinema. But then he also added that uh, with digital, you've get, like you were saying, every voice can be heard now. And that's going to raise the signal to noise ratio. There's going to be a lot of crap out there, but totally. Even so, if you're good, you're good. You know, it's like I, I, I just this is a silly example, but look at Billie Eilish, right? Like, yeah, she had a lot of things going for her, but she's good. When we all heard this cat is getting after it, um, <laughs> you know, uh. It's it's I I'm, I am excited for that and it, you know f- to be perfectly honest like the the current climate not not 2020 but just like the the ability to get out there and make stuff helped me be successful for sure you know yeah yeah I mean it enabled me you know yeah. having also you know it doesn't always help you but it certainly doesn't harm you to have have a camera so you can offer up like you said it's like what are you offering not just your talent but your ability to like you know I can I can do something right now. Yeah. You know, and I can, I can help out. Um, and I don't know. I think it's just, that's what I did when I was a kid, I was messing around with like the, we had, you know, the family camcorder. I was shooting on VHS C. Um, and then eventually, then eventually it was mini DV. And you didn't give high. I don't know if we used high. I don't know if we used high eight. We probably did. There's no way we didn't. Because yeah, we, we did we did generationals. Yeah, because yeah. we had the VHSC, then High Eight, right. and then I got an XL two. Uh-huh. Oh, nice, good for you. I was stunting on the high schoolers. <laughs> I 
I had, I think, uh, oh gosh, which uh, I had like a Canon Z something or other. It was the tiniest mini DV camera. The GL2. Um, and then, no, it wasn't even a GL. Oh. Uh, it was, it was like a, it was a camcorder, like this little, you know, thing. The size of maybe an A7S three now. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I was I was messing around with those, and then you know, I working uh, interning, I had access to like tape decks and editing software and computers, and so I learned quite a bit messing around there. I'd take my footage, you know, and and do some of that on my off time there. Yeah, so no, that was, uh, that was, that was great. big, man. If anything, let, that's a technology that no one. I don't think anyone values as much as they should. And that is not having to run tape through a deck. You don't get any scrambles. You're not doing two, three pull down. It does. It does clips. It's right. Instead of just one big, long 500 gigabyte file. (laughs) Although now we're back up to 500 gigs. Now we're back. Now we're back to 500 gigs. Yeah. But at least it's more, man. Everything's just, yeah, everything's, everything's digital. You got to, a card now instead of a, a tape. Yeah. I remember having to, you know, lay off for, for broadcast, getting everything off of, you know, final cut, we would lay off to HD cam SR. Right. Like that was, you know, just the technicals of having to, you know, stripe it with time code. And all, and, and then every I step mean, you could screw up and then it gets rejected. All the time. You're like, Ugh. drop, there's a drop frame. This is a, a two hour long show. Okay, where'd we drop the frame? Now we got to roll it back to this cut point. So we have a clean edit on the tape. <laughs> frame accuracy. Yeah. Um, well, we're, we're coming up on an hour. I feel like we should just do a part two like next week and we can just keep going. But Let's do it, man. I, I would love to. I, I love having these kinds of conversations. I want to have more of them. Yeah. Well, then we'll, we'll fuck it. We'll get you on the schedule. But uh, to wrap it up. because. Yeah. I'm going to need that coffee at some point. Um, I'm, I'm at the moment I'm ending every podcast with, uh, the same two questions. Uh, what mm-hmm. everyday things do you find most important, um, that have helped you in your career? Uh, and also, uh, feel free to plug any personal projects. Wow. What everyday things have helped me in my personal career? Well, I guess I don't know. Is my personality an everyday thing that's helped me? Tobias said. I guess. Uh, Tobias said, "Being kind." Yeah. That's uh, honestly, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm open to hearing everyone, no matter what. Mm. Because I, you know, I don't know. When I'm, I'm just curious about people, tendencies, idiosyncrasies. I like that kind of thing, and I like learning about people. So I think that's what has certainly helped me in in documentary is, you know, a strong subject. You're like, Oh, this is, this is going to be great. I want to be, I want to be in that. So I don't know. I, I, I like to think that I'm a good listener. I try not to speak very much. I'm just, I'm kind of quiet. Um, except during our, our discussion, dude, I, I don't know. I just, let me tell you for, for a podcast, like I had to, the first few episodes, I definitely know I talked too much. (laughs) I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a chatty guy for sure. Yeah. Well, maybe this could be my outlet. I could just uh, talk it up here um, and then just remain quiet behind the camera like I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, what was the, I'm sorry, the second personal project. You want to plug anything? You want to send anyone to a website or anything like that? Um, or are you just doing a see, photo book, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, right. <laughs> Check out I'm doing. Actually, I would love to do a photo book. I've been taking so many photos. Um, and I still need, I'm terrible. I need to catalog everything. I would love to put everything together. I want to print some of my stuff, um, photo book together, but, um, I, I would say, I don't know, visit my website, go to bryantfisher.com. Um, and then, um, I, I would say, check out, check out Lennox Hill on Netflix. If you want to have some feels and watch some really great stories. Um, and then also, uh, we are freestyle love Supreme on Hulu. Another wonderful documentary that I spent some time with, with some great creatives. Um, and then uh, we have some upcoming things, um, I think, in March or April, uh, an Apple TV series I've been doing is going to come out, another documentary series about mental health and mental wellness. Oh, wow. Um, and then uh, I'm not sure. I think it's sometime this month there is, I don't know when this comes out, but um, there's going to be a piece about the Masters coming. Um, we shot that in November. Um, oh, and check out, I'm, right before the, the pandemic really landed in the United States, I did a, uh, a Bon Jovi music video at Abbey Road. Nice. Uh, with the Invictus Choir. So check that out. That's on, that's on YouTube. That was a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably check that out when we hang out. That sounds dope. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. I mean, he was, he was fantastic. So that's uh, that's all we've got time for. But thank you so much for uh, being on Frame and Reference. And like I said, we'll 100% just have you on. I don't know if you want to be a reoccurring guest. That'd be great. You know, we need. Those I would. In, uh, I would be more than honored. <laughs> yeah, I'd be. I'd be honored. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Let's, let's yeah. definitely do it again. For sure. Frame and Reference is an Owlbot production. It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark Pelly, and the FNR Mapbox logo was designed by Nate Truax of Truax Branding Company. You can read or watch the podcast you've just heard by going to ProVideoCoalition.com or YouTube.com slash Owlbot, respectively. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>